get started then. Good afternoon. You are listening to some feedback. (laughs) You are listening to the Year Now podcast. Today is Sunday the 26th of November. We are recording live at the New Zealand Skeptics Conference. We need... So I am Craig, the ex-chair of the New Zealand Skeptics, and with me today, we have another ex-chair of the New Zealand Skeptics, Mark. Hey, how's it going? And we have a new chair of the New Zealand Skeptics, Bronwyn. Kia ora. <laughs> yes, so congratulations. I have handed the mantle over. Yep, I'm waiting for all the terrible surprises and secrets that you've kept. <laughs> Just wait until you see all the unread emails. Oh. <laughs> Have you been storing them up for like three months now or? Six years. Oh, so, oh right. Your entire tenure you ignored our emails. Brilliant. So we've been having a, a fantastic conference. Um, I think we, we were going to talk about the, the Ben Spoon Award that we, record, that we awarded last night. Yeah, do you want to give an intro and then maybe we can give some more details as well? We should, okay, also, we so should also talk about the Bravos and you know, the Skeptics indeed. of the Year, because they're yes. also equally important awards. Well, indeed, indeed. But yeah, short story is the Bent Spoon Award last night we awarded to the New Zealand Skeptics. Yeah. Yay. <laughs> a bit of a surprise, wasn't it, to everybody except for the committee? <laughs> yes, indeed. So uh, the short story is that back in 1995, the New Zealand Skeptics awarded the Bent Spoon Award to the New Zealand Justice Department for a report called Heading Home, which at the time the committee thought was, um, was contained pseudoscience and bad conclusions and so on, and on reanalysis we have come to the conclusion that actually it was quite justified, and so we are awarding ourselves the Bent Spoon for a lack of critical thinking at the time. Of course, we're, we're criticising the committee from the time, but, yeah. It's, it's a bit of a weird one. I mean, I, I'm still happy that we're doing this. I'm happy, happy that we're, we're making this what we consider to be a correction. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess we have moved on a lot since 1995, and there's a more nuanced understanding of domestic violence and, and this kind of thing. So I think we've made the right decision. We've certainly been thinking about it for a lot of time. I know it first came on my radar in 2015, so this has been a lot of years kind of reading through the report, um, talking to people, reading around the report, trying to get our heads around what went on and what we could do to change things. So it's, it's been nice to finally get this corrected. And yeah, on more positive news, we awarded our Bravo Awards to three uh, online journalists. Uh, there was oh, Debunking you Conspiracies Aotearoa. Yep, Skeptical, Skeptical Kiwi. Kiwi. And, and Conspiracy Loons of New Zealand. Yes. Uh, that, that one's my favourite. Honestly, when I'm looking for something to write about in the newsletter and I'm at a loose end, 
the conspiracy loons, there's always something weird and wonderful on there. Like, whoever's doing that, and a lot of this, this online journalism these days, especially dealing with conspiracy theorists, is anonymous. People don't want their real names to be known for good reason, because mm -hmm. a lot of these people are pretty vindictive and pretty horrible. So it's good that they don't know who these people are. But this person spends hours and hours just watching the content that our conspira local conspiracy theorists are generating and finds some of the best nuggets and summarizes them really nicely in five to ten minutes. And so we don't have to wade through the whole thing. And for my newsletter, I can find this little gem of what the hell did Brian Tamaki just say? And then I can go and look for some background and write about it without having to watch 20 of his sermons. Because I've watched two of them in my life, and that was two more than I ever should have done. <laughs> And also we um, awarded our Skeptic of the Year Award, this time to an actual real person who does have a name, by the name of Calvin Morgan. Uh, he is a sceptical activist on X, formerly known as Twitter. Um, and he's done a lot of uh, really good reporting about uh, sceptical and conspiracy theory related things in New Zealand. Yeah, yeah, another really good award and really nice to see people outside of the committee, outside of our society, just fighting the good fight and shining a light on... I, I guess this is the more dangerous end of the nonsense in this country, isn't it? Like, some skepticism, some, some of the weird stuff people do, it, it's pretty benign, but conspiracy theories can, can end up in really bad places for people. Hmm. And he uh, gets gets a year's free membership of the New Zealand Skeptics. This is the way that we're getting more members of the New Zealand Skeptics, <laughs> by awarding them with the Skeptic of the Year Award. It costs us it? nothing, technically. Mm -hmm. Well, yeah, it's a, it's a lost leader, right? Because after that, they'll feel like they have to pay us a membership every year, mm -hmm. and, and we've got them hooked. Seems like a bit like the Mormons inducting uh, deceased people into their religion. <laughs> Whatever works. <laughs> so anyway, what are, we, what are we talking about this week? Well, I think you go first. Uh, okay. You know, you're, right. uh, you know, your swan song as uh, the chairperson. <laughs> um, Does that mean I get to sing? No, that was last night. Can you um, sing? <laughs> you know I can sing. You can play the piano. <laughs> right. So um, recently I've been uh, watching some documentaries on the streaming platform. So I've been watching... Um, on Netflix, there's been two documentaries about essentially the same topic, and that is that of the Twin Flames universe. Um, so there was a documentary on Netflix called Escaping Twin Flames, and on uh, Amazon Prime there's a documentary, a similar topic, called Desperately Seeking Soulmate, Escaping Twin Flames Universe. So you might ask yourself, what is uh, Twin Flames all about? Hey, Craig, what's Twin Flames all about? <laughs> well, Mark... I, I actually don't really know. I, I, I kind of half deliberately kept away from this, so you, everything's going to be new for me. I think, Mark, given that you were married, you should stay away from this topic, because you've <laughs> clearly already found your Twin Flame. <laughs> oh, so cute. Thank you. So the idea of a Twin Flame is that... We all have souls, and there is a special someone 
who shares part of your soul and they are your twin flame. They are your true love that you are meant to spend um, your lifetime and multiple lifetimes with because you have a soul and when you die you will somehow be resurrected and you will find that person in your next life. And that raises all sorts of questions, but I probably don't have time to get into that today. Well, that does. My first one is, you've been married twice, have you? So <laughs> which one of your two wives is your twin flame? <laughs> oh, I have to say my latest wife. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so this is um, what seems to be a cult. It's run by um, a couple of people in the US. Um, there's a guy by the name of uh, Jeffrey Devine. That is not his original name. Calcibri. <laughs> he started off, started off life as um, Jeff Ayan. Um, and he has a wife by the name of uh, Megan Plant, who now calls herself um, Shalia Devine. So they... They are a couple of influencers who started off life making YouTube videos back in about 2014. They were making videos about sort of how they finding twin flames. The idea of twin flames actually came about in about 1999 when there was a, a sort of a, a new age religious figure um, in the US and she wrote a book about twin flames. So this is where the concept comes from. So the idea of twin flames is that um, that there, there is this ideal soul that you can connect with. So they started making videos about this, and then eventually they turned it into a business. And so now what you can do, if you can go to their, their twin flames website, you can sign up and you can purchase for anything up to $8,888 US, that That's sounds significant and numerology-like, um, doesn't all, it? All of their courses, like you buy courses and you buy like a large number of courses, like 300 online classes, yeah. and it's all based on like $1,111, oh. $333. It's all these sort of what they call, <laughs> I think it's angel numbers? Right. Yes. Or, or you can sign up for a monthly subscription of $222 or $333. So this gives you access to the, all of their videos and their teaching. They've turned this into essentially what seems like a multi-level marketing scheme where rather than them just producing videos all the time, they've actually come up with this idea of ascension coaches. So they've brought people into their organisation and they've trained them up and then those people go out and produce training for other people and they can charge money for it and that's that's how they make money. Um, so essentially what they're, what they're originally saying is that if you sign up for one of their courses, they're guaranteeing that you will find your twin flame. Wow. And the way this has started out for some people is that they've encouraged people to pursue people who they think are their twin flames, which actually might not, they might not really be interested so this has caused people to go and stalk other people, saying, well, yes, you're my twin flame. No, I'm not interested. No, you're my twin flame. 
And in fact, there was a woman who was featured in one of the documentaries who actually spent a month in jail because uh, she was in breach of a restraining order that uh, uh, prevented her from pursuing this person. It's quite a sad story, really. Um, so th th this woman was actually a, a scientist, I think a microbiologist. She seemed to be very rationally based, but then she got involved with this twin flame organisation and ended up going to jail for it. That's, it's a really unique, like, the sort of the demographic that goes in for the twin flames, and that's been the big source of their problems and sort of the, the major solution that they've come across. Yeah, so... Um, what it appears to be is that it seems for some reason to be um, young women who are um, in search of true love. So the majority of the members of this organisation are women, um, and there was this guarantee that they were going to find their true twin flame, but that kind of didn't work out all the time. So eventually the rules evolved over, over time, and it turned out that uh, Jeff, Jeffrey Devine, was um, sort of claiming to be able to talk to God and actually choose who your twin flame was. So you didn't really have any choice anymore, but you were assigned a twin flame. And in order to solve this problem of the, of the twin flames not actually working out, they actually said, well, actually, the twin, your twin flame already belongs to the organisation. And so that kind of limited their numbers. Um, and then they started putting people together. And to sort of cut a long story short, what actually happened in the end was that they came up with this idea was that there was a divine feminine, a divine masculine in every relationship. And the majority of the, of the women involved with this organisation are, uh, are heterosexual, but they started putting women together and actually um, forcing people to undergo uh, gender um, change in order to be in this relationship and there were actually some members who weren't happy with this but kind of went along with it because they're in this cult um, and in, in fact even some members had um, top surgery which was masculinization of, of um, their bodies in order to be part of this new relationship. And when you think about it, this is all largely happening in America. So this is, you know, this is money coming out of people's pockets to undergo a surgery because some random on the Internet is telling you this is your role that you must play in this relationship. Yeah. Yep. So it all seems very culty, very sad. There are people who are uh, devoting a lot of their lives to this. It, it, it feels culty in the fact that they are listening to these people all the time, they're doing exactly what they said, but yet it's just this one aspect of their life. It's their, it's their relationship. It's not maybe a traditional cult where maybe every aspect of your life is controlled. Mm. I think it's sort of part of this new, this trend of coercive groups that we're seeing in the past, you know, five, ten years, a lot of online lifestyle coaching and again, as you say, it's kind of a multi-level marketing model. You know, you have, the, you have the cult or the group leaders who are now training other people underneath them and gaining money because they're selling these online courses. Yeah. Um, and they seem to have done very, very well out of it mm -hmm. um, in, in terms of actually even flaunting their wealth, mm -hmm. showing off all the fancy cars that they've got in their lovely home and mm -hmm. 
Yeah. And and I think the um, in the Amazon documentary, you know, they make they kind of make it clear that both um, Jeff and Shalia are equally responsible because often you'll see you'll have these narratives of, of cults and of high control groups of it's the you know the man who is leading the group and is manipulating everybody, but really it seems that Shalia is bringing the religious and spiritual aspect to Twin Flames, and Jeff is kind of bringing a bit of charisma. Okay. Mm. Because I've, I've been looking for this for ages, right? You know, I, I said earlier in the year when I joined the cult Eastern Lightning and I found that Jesus had come back as a woman. It's like, finally, we've got a woman in charge of a cult, you know. It's horrible, it's a cult, but at least they picked a woman to be the Messiah. And then it turns out there's an abusive man behind her that's controlling her. And, yeah, it's a man yet again. So um, at least there's a little bit of equality in this one, even if it's... <laughs> it's it's God a quality no one wants. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So looking at the videos, it does seem like that Jeff does most of the talking. Um, but Shalia's in there agreeing with them all the time. Uh, it's, it seems to be quite abusive. They, what they do is they have these Zoom meetings and they're singling people out and sort of pressuring them into pursuing their twin flame, doing things that they probably wouldn't, wouldn't ordinarily do. So is the self-help all about just the journey to find your tw twin flame? Or, you know, especially if they're pushing people together that aren't going to be naturally connected. Uh, have they got a bunch of videos on how to cope with living with someone you don't like? Are they, are they kind of trying to help with the rest of the relationship? They kind of force people to stay in relationships, even mm. when people are saying, look, I don't like this person, I don't want to stay. So it's just um, a grin and bear it kind of yeah, thing. Yeah, they have a particular um, exercise that they call the mirror exercise, and it's about yeah. taking everything that, you know, so-and-so hates me. It's like, well, no, you hate you. Yeah. yeah so, so the mirror exercise is you write down all of the problems, and then you basically say, Everything that refers to another person, you actually say, no, that refers to me. And that oh. seems messed up. Yeah, so yet again, victim blaming. Blaming yeah. yourself rather than the person that's actually doing the thing. Okay. Yes. So, don't get involved with Twin Flames. <laughs> <laughs> but I think we're only just going to hear more and more about them, because since these, both of these documentaries have come out, there have been, you know, update on the original Vice articles, there's been more and more YouTube and TikTok videos that are going out there. So you're going to hear a lot more about it before, it's, before mm. it dies down. Yeah, the, um, the, the victims' families have been trying to get the police involved to see whether there's something, that, something criminal that they've done. Um, but at this stage, it doesn't seem like there's anything that they can be charged for, unfortunately. Mm. It's the same thing with like all sorts of cults and coercive groups. I mean, what they seem to be doing is having, like, these little schools or intensive camps. So a lot of their followers will go to their house, go to Jeff and um, Shalia's house and, you know, basically be what, slaves or um, domestic, unpaid domestic servants. Uh, that reminds me of the Cosmic Fusion Group. I, I mm. met them back in 2013 at a wellness festival in Wellington, and it's a... Uh, Auckland-based cult, very small, maybe at its largest might have had a dozen or one and a half dozen people. But that dozen people that were members were slaves. They were in this couple's house, getting up at three, four in the morning, scrubbing the place every day, and then devotion and everything else. But for, for those few people that were sucked into that cult, it just sounded like the worst life. 
So th this actually reminds me of, um, I, I'm sure a lot of us here are Tim Minchin fans, but there's a, uh, there's a great Tim Minchin song, um, If I Didn't Have You. You guys heard that? <laughs> if I didn't have you, I'd probably have someone else. Can you um, sing a few bars? <laughs> no, I can't. Can you sing a few bars? <laughs> no. But just, it's, it's a really good song and that rational idea of, you know, there is no soulmate, right? There are people who are good for you. And if a relationship doesn't figure out, doesn't work out, there's probably other people that are going to be as good, if not better. And I think it's, um, was it a tall blonde skier would be his alternative. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of people in the world, many more fish in the sea. <laughs> Said like a true father, which you are. Have you ever had to say that to your daughters? Plenty more fish in the sea? Uh, I've only got one daughter, but oh. yes, yes, I have, have said that once. Wow. Yeah. How did it go down? Uh, well, she found another fish. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Um, so, Mark, but sometimes you don't need to pay over thousands of dollars to find your twin flame. Sometimes people can just clone your Facebook account. <gasps> My God, you've taken over the chair roll. I didn't realize you were taking over the segways as well. I like it. <laughs> So yes, I am going to talk, and apologies to anybody that's read the newsletter because I've already written this one up, um, but I'm just going to talk briefly about one of the, the few recent scams that I've got myself involved with. Um, and the, the first two I went in, eyes open. The first two scams that I, I played around with, I was very much aware straight away they were a scam. This one fooled me for a little while. This one was a friend request from somebody I know who is the office administrator for the NZARH, a group in Auckland that does humanism and rationalism. Um, Judy is her name, and I got a friend request from her, and I'm like, oh, I'm not friends with Judy already, but nice that she sent me a friend request, so I clicked accept. And then a couple of hours later, I'm like, was I really not friends with Judy already? So I went back and checked. Turns out I'm friends with two Judys now. <laughs> um, so I had a look at the two accounts, and it was obvious that the new one was fake. There was really nothing in there. No history of articles, no personal pictures. Um, so it was obvious this one was a clone. But I was, I'm not... Normally I'd report this, but recently Facebook's been awful at reporting things. They're just ignoring everything, basically. I've, I found every single account I've reported in the last two or three years. Um, I just get a message back saying, thanks for your concern, but it looks legitimate to us. We're going to leave it up. And I don't know what's changed, but it feels to me at least like something's changed on Facebook. So I didn't report it, but I also didn't unfriend the, my new Judy. I decided I was going to stay friends with the new Judy and see what happens. Why are they cloning these accounts and sending friend requests? What's the end game? Now, it didn't take long. It was maybe about another hour or so before I got a message. And the new Judy sent me a lovely little message saying, everything's working well for me. I'm happy with every single thing happening around me. Thanks for asking. I asked how they're doing. Um, and I don't know if you're aware of the PCH, Publisher Clearinghouse. Turns out that this is apparently an American organization 
that has got more money than it knows what to do with. So it's trying to give away money to people on Facebook. <laughs> and it's all about, you know, Americans helping the rest of the world like they always do. Especially in COVID times, a lot of people are running out of money. So maybe, maybe I'd be eligible. She was eligible. She got $100,000. <laughs> Straight away, like approved and boom, Americans gave her a hundred grand. Um, and I said, well, maybe, do you think I'd be eligible as well? <laughs> and my new friend Judy said, yes, what you need to do is here's a link to Agent Patrick Smith. And if you go and talk to Agent Patrick Smith, he'll walk you through it and he'll figure out if you're eligible. Clicked on the link, I message Agent Patrick Smith. Heard nothing back. So I went back and said, look, I've heard nothing. Oh, here's another link to Agent Patrick Smith. <laughs> it's a second Agent Patrick Smith account. And that is their name on Facebook, Agent Patrick Smith. And at that point, I was like, oh, I wonder how many of those there are. So I searched for Agent Patrick Smith on Facebook, figuring, you know, how often are they just reusing this scam name? Ooh, hundreds of them. Hundreds of accounts. And again, why Facebook isn't shutting these down, I do not know. It's so obvious they're being used for scams, um, and yet nothing's happening about them. So I messaged the second one, and I said, hey, my friend Judy said that maybe I'm eligible for some money. Um, what do you think? We had a little chat. He explained the background of the organization a little bit, and then said, you need to fill in this form. It wasn't a form. He basically sent me just in all caps maybe about 10 lines asking for my personal details. And <laughs> I was like, okay, so what I did was without putting any spaces in, I just filled in the gaps and made it like this one big run-on block of text. Totally fake data, pretty much right the way through. I'm not going to give them real data. So I gave them some nonsense, and then they said, oh, at the bottom it says driver's license as well. Now, I'm not going to give my driver's license picture away because that's crazy. They can clone my identity and God knows what else. So I gave it to my nine-year-old daughter and I said, can you draw me a picture of this but change all the details because I, I don't want these people to see. So she took it and she went off. I thought she was going to get out the crayons, but... I mean, this is the 2020s, right? She jumped straight on her computer, she got into Google Slides, and she made me a really nice digital forgery of my, pass of my um, driver's license. It was brilliant. I mean, it was awful in some ways. She picked a garish bright yellow for the background. She asked for the earliest picture of me I had where I was about 21 years old. Um, she made up some ridiculous details. She asked me, think of a word, and I said goldfish. Apparently that's my donor status, is goldfish. Um, and I was like, this is great, because, you know, th this is a good end to this story. I'm going to send this in. They're going to say, stop playing around, and they're going to stop talking to me. So I uploaded it, and five minutes later, I get... Congratulations! Your details have been accepted. A little bit of back and forth because some of the details didn't match, so I gave them like a third version of some stuff and they were fine with that. And then we were all good. I was going to get $100,000, the full amount, not even 50 grand or 25. I was going to get the full 100 grand. Um, it was just the problem of the clearance fee. 
<laughs> so, unfortunately, in order to be able to release the funds, I needed to pay a thousand dollars. And I was like, that's fine. Just, just take the thousand dollars out of what you're going to give me. Give me ninety-nine grand. And I said, in fact, no. No, take $500 for yourself. I'm feeling generous. Give me 98 and a half and, and we'll call it quits. They were having none of this. To which I then doubled down and said, look, as a sovereign citizen, I duly blah, blah, blah. Um, I authorize you with my rights, maritime law, wow. And I just kept going. They were having none of that either. So I was like, okay, how do I give you the $1,000? And it's scammers, so it's going to be something weird. In the past, it's been Bitcoin. So can, you need to transfer this much money worth of Bitcoin into this random crypto wallet. This one was different. This one was, here's a list of shops. Which one do you have near you? And most of them seem to be American large stores like Best Buy. But right at the bottom of the list was the warehouse. And so I responded with, oh, the one close to me is the Wari Fari figuring they wouldn't know what that was, so I had to follow it up by telling them the number on the list. So I told them I told them I got the warehouse, and they said, great, you need to go to the warehouse, you need to buy $1,000 worth of Steam or Apple vouchers, <laughs> and then you need to scratch off the backs and give us the numbers. Like, some people are falling for this, right? I mean, I guess some people, once they're invested in that idea that there's $100,000 for them, like that, they just go blind. They just don't think this is not how a real company would take money. They just think it's just a little hurdle. It's just a tiny investment of mine. I mean, it's a big investment, a grand. But it's, a, it's, it's this little investment, but then I get a hundred grand back. So it's worth going into the red for a little while. So I obviously was not going to go and get a thousand dollars worth of steam vouchers, but I did pretend that I did after a while, and then I told them that the police had followed me back to my house and were parked outside, and they said, there's nothing to worry about, it's all fine, and then eventually at about midnight I said, okay, the police are finally gone, what do I do now? And the guy said, right, you need to send me a picture of the first steam card. So I sent him a picture of the front of the steam card, not the back. He got a little bit angry. And he's like, no, no, it needs to be the back. So I sent him a picture of the back of a Steam card. I downloaded all these pictures from the internet. I, as I said, had no Steam cards. I hadn't scratched the back of this one. So he's like, no, 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 you need to scratch it. So the third one I sent, I'd found a really nice picture of someone that scratched a Steam card badly and you couldn't read the number. And then before he had a chance to respond, I sent another one and another one. And before he knew it, he had about 30 pictures of Steam cards that I'd sent him. And he was like, no, stop, slow down, slow down. What are you doing? Um, and then I did things like telling him that I'd started crediting them to my account. I said, look, I've got $100 on my Steam account now. What do I do with it? Like, what, what game am I going to buy? Should I buy Starfield? It's new. I've heard it's got bugs, but it sounds like it's pretty good. Um, and the guy was getting pretty angry, but then he noticed something. So he started noticing that I was scamming him. He spotted that the background of each image was different because I downloaded them from all over the place on the internet. So there was carpet, there was hard floor, there were different kitchen surfaces. You're like, why are the backgrounds for all the pictures different? <laughs> um, and I just tried to fob him. I like, didn't want to send you boring pictures all the same, so I'm walking around the house taking pictures as I go. <laughs> 
And then he said, and I think this is a way to shortcut it, he said, can you just send me a picture of the receipt? And I'm guessing on the receipt there's probably an ID number for each card that you've purchased that they can type directly into Steam instead of scratching. Um, so I just said no. I, you know, they asked if I wanted the receipt. I said no, and it's in the bin. Um, and then after that, basically, the game was pretty much up. Once he'd had all these ridiculous Steam cards, he started asking if I was... If I was kidding him, was I trying to scam him? And it was like, no, no, you're trying to scam me. I'm just, you know, giving back what I'm getting. Um, and then the, the bit that I really I was kind of impressed with, the very last shot, was I'd gone out to the pub with a friend by this point, and uh, this scammer said, look, because I was asking, can I interview you? Like, I'm, I'm going to write an article about this. Can I talk to you? Can we have a serious, honest conversation about what's just gone on? And he said, yeah, maybe, whatever. Um, I just need an eight-digit number first so you can prove that you're you. And I'm like, what eight-digit number? So he's always come to your email. Now, I have a fake email address I use for these scams. I checked that there was nothing there. And I went back and I said, there's, there's no email with an eight-digit code. And he said, oh, no, go back and check the email attached to your Facebook account. And that was my real email address. So I, I went into my actual real email address, honeychurch at gmail.com, and there, basically at the top, were maybe six or eight Facebook account password change requests. Mm -hmm. And so when you try and log into an account, which he'd been doing with my account, it says, we're going to send you an eight-digit code for 2FA. <laughs> Type that in, and we'll let you change the password. And so he was trying to get me to pass him on this eight-digit number so he could then reset the password on my account. I don't know what they would have done if they'd got hold of it. Maybe I should do the same as Susan in our audience does and have, like, I don't know, five dozen Facebook accounts ready to go and just use a fake one of those for it. Um, but as it was my real account, I was not willing to go far enough as to hand over the reins to my account. That would be a little bit sad. So I don't know what they do if they get hold of the account. But, yeah, at that point I said, nice try, thanks a lot. Never heard from him again. Um, sadly, as soon as the scammers realize they're not going to get money from me, they don't want to talk to me anymore, which is really disappointing. So maybe eventually I'll find someone that is willing to open up and be honest, and I think it would be a really interesting conversation. But it seems like a lot of the time they, they don't even want to admit they're doing wrong. You know, they're like, this is a legitimate service. If it's not working for you, you don't have to take part in it. They say that kind of thing. But they never want to admit any kind of guilt. Mm. So that was me being scammed. Yeah, well, I'm remembering your um, newsletter article, you know, there was a picture for Agent Patrick Smith on the on their Facebook page, right? Yeah, yeah. Did you ever try to do an image reversal search to see if, you know, where that image actually came from? Like what insurance company or No, what? I didn't. He didn't like, look... Like, is, he, is he a senator and then we just are really ignorant New Zealanders? <laughs> he looks like a Jehovah's Witness elder. Like maybe he looks a little bit like the prophet at the moment, but he's not. I mean, Patrick Smith, yeah, I'd say, more, yeah, I'd say he would be Mormon. Um, yeah, or a Mormon elder, sorry, yes. Um, it, it, it's... I, I don't know where the picture comes from, but it, yeah, the, the accounts are all a mixture of like this picture of this kindly old man who you'd obviously trust, old, white, etc., and wads of cash. So those are the two images they tend to use on these accounts to convince you that they've got money and they're trustworthy. Hmm. It makes me wonder how, how 
often they're actually successful with this. It's Let, let's say in let's say this guy took four hours over me, right? And let's say in a third world country, it's ten dollars an hour mm. is a is a good amount to be made. So you you figure they've got to be making their money's worth, right? So a thousand dollars for a scam, and they're wasting forty dollars on each person. So forty by a thousand. 400, 800, 25. So I guess at least one in every 25 maybe would work. I don't know. That, that sounds a little yeah, bit too much. That, that too sounds much, like yeah. maybe they've got a better economy of scale. Maybe sometimes I was talking to a bot and not even a person and, you know, they can farm it out that way. But, yeah, some of my scammers, I've, I've managed to waste like 20 of their hours, which it feels much better. The more of their time I can waste, the happier I am. But you're also wasting your own time. No, I'm not, because a lot of the time I'm like online with Bronwyn playing computer games. We're, we're just <laughs> playing a game, and in the background I'm messing around with the scammer. It was the same when I joined Eastern Lightning. I joined services, and we, we'd be basically playing a game together, and occasionally the audio would change because it would go from me talking about, no, not over there, run over here, to suddenly I'm reading a bit of a sermon. Um, and sometimes you get to listen to sermons as well. <laughs> It was all very strange for a while there. But yeah, I do try to multitask so I don't feel like I'm really wasting my time. Mm. Yes, okay. Well, I'm sure none of our audience would fall for something like this, but it's <coughs> incredibly interesting to figure out how these scams work, isn't it? How they, and whether they, how much money they're making out of this, whether they ever are successful. Yeah, I think the how they work, because you hear about them and you see the beginnings of them, but mm. as skeptics, most of the time we won't be fooled. We'll, we'll just click the F off button and leave it at that. But it has been really interesting, not just the, the tricks they use to get the money, but just talking with them and, and seeing the psychology they use. Like, not with this one, but the other scams, the way they do it is they try and build up your confidence. So they say, this is the process, but let me do it first. Or you can do it on a, an account with fake money first. And so they get you doing something dangerous, but in a safe environment where you're not going to lose any money. Mm -hmm. And once you're confident that that all seemed to go well, then they start talking about, okay, now it's time for you to upload $1,000 or $2,000. Mm. So it's kind of, it's quite a clever way of doing it. And I, I do feel sorry for the people that con, because most of the time they'll just disappear quietly. Nobody wants to admit they've been conned. No. And your friend Judy, are you still friends with her twice <laughs> on Facebook? And, and why do you think it is that Judy got picked? I don't know why Judy got picked, and Judy doesn't know. And she was worried. Like the the first thing she messaged me um, about was, you know, it, do I have to change the password for my account? How, what do I do to secure it? And it's like, no. This is what they've done. Is your account is open enough that they've been able to copy your profile picture, they've been able to copy your name, and they've been able to copy your date of birth and a few other details. And they've just literally copy and pasted into a new account. Nobody had your password. Nobody had backdoor access to anything. And I think a lot of the time when this happens to people, that's what they think is someone's got my password. And they haven't. They've just, they're read, you've ticked the boxes to say these bits of information should be made public. Mm. And they've just copy and pasted all of that into another account. And they've actually obviously got access to her friends list in order to be able to 
send you a friend request. Yes, so if a friends here. list is open, then that's, that's generally how they'll do it, is they'll go to everybody that's on that friends list, and they will send them a friend request. Hmm. Right, good reason to lock down your social media accounts. No, leave it open, it's fine. <laughs> <laughs> More fun that way. So, Roman, <laughs> I have no idea what you're going to talk about, so I can't possibly come up with a good segue to it. Well, I'm going to be talking about my, um, not my most recent newsletter article, that's about the um, skeptical events in Dunedin. Um, it's going to be the, my, my second most recent newsletter article, which is about blue zones. Um, <sighs> it feels like something that comes out of... Uh, Freakonomics, and it's been a couple of years since I've read that book, so maybe it did come out of Freakonomics a bit. Um, but for people who don't know, blue zones are quote-unquote geographical areas where there's believed to be a higher concentration of people who live to be very to a very old age. So, but we're not just talking about you know to your 90s. It's you know 100 or being what's called a super centenarian, which is someone who lives to 110 or more, or yeah, further, later, whatever the grammar is, Mark. Older? Older. I think. Yeah. Um, but thinking about the hellscape that is Twitter, or now X, um, an article by an Australian um, professor, and I think he's now at Oxford, um, named Saul Newman. Um, he's, written the, he's recently published a little paper in, about blue zones and really how they don't exist. Um, and the reality behind it is based on pension fraud. Okay, so the, the idea as posited is something to do with like things like diet in these areas that keeps yeah. people alive longer. So um, originally there was a paper done by these two um, by these two researchers in Sardinia, and they're sort of trying to promote Sardinia as like, oh look, they have like there's something special in the wine, there's something special in the diet, and this is why particularly men. You know, and that's a very big thing, is about men living longer. Because usually we know um, women, I think the expectation is that women live longer and men are dying. You know, their lifespan is not as long, but that's kind of, again, based on statistics that gone. Who goes to war? <laughs> and who's working in more, in more high-risk um, occupations? Um, and this idea kind of caught the attention of a National Geographic fellow called Dan Bootner. Um, he isn't a scientist in any way. He's not a statistician. He's not an econo ec economist. He is an endurance athlete and a very successful businessman. Um, back in sort of the like late 90s, um, early 2000s, he was doing these really amazing long-distance bike treks um, across Russia, across the U.S., and he had a bit of a agreement with National Geographic to have these to make these quests available to school students in America. So you'd have students across America who'd be following his quest, and they'd have they'd eventually they, every so often they would interview experts about oh you know someone from his, like a historian or some local es expert that would say yeah let's answer the question did Marco Polo actually exist did he actually travel on the Silk Road? So it seemed to be really engaging, educational, very mid-90s kind of quality edutainment that you'd have. Sometime in sort of the early, about 2000 actually, um, he was invited by a company in Japan to do a quest on longevity because they certainly wanted to promote Okinawa as a place that had the most people who lived 
past 100 years. Now, I think maybe back at the time that was true. They probably did have the largest population of centarians in the world. And that sort of became a bit of a buzz, what um, he ended up sort of, Dan Bootner ended up commercializing as Blue Zones. Um, and that's now grown to multiple, about four other regions. So one of them is Loma Linda, which is a seven-day Adventist community. Hmm. Well, they call this city, but really, and I, maybe our Americans correct me, but um, the census data of um, what constitutes a city or a region can kind of change a little bit. Um, when you look at the census data, because Loma Linda actually takes up maybe five, can change in terms of its uh, demographics and census. Okay. So, Susan has nodded at us, so that's No, she shrugged. She has shrugged at us. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, so that, but that's one of the things to keep in mind, is that because, you know, one, at one year, maybe 10, 20 years ago, Loma Linda maybe had slightly higher um, rates of longevity. Now they are probably 76 they're not even the longest-lived people in their own in their own state. Right. There's, okay. there's a, I think there's a region called Momo. When I was looking at the census, that had some the average um, average age was maybe 104. So I don't know if that's maybe a big retirement community or. Yeah. Okay. So you've got these four or five regions, and I guess each of them has got something special, maybe that keeps yeah. people living longer. So his big thing, um, he's become a he's become a vegetarian. So of course he's really pushing on the fact that oh, these are people who mostly eat beans. They have a plant based diet. They all live together. They're all you know, it's a really close family structure. But it does again ignore what Saul what Saul Newman argues that actually there's they eat a lot of meat. And there's actually a lot of smoking. There's no one who's really, like a lot of people who live to over 100 years probably have a cigarette a day. But you do have researchers who try to argue, yeah, they probably didn't inhale, which, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yes, they had a cigar a day, but they didn't inhale. It's like, no, no, they, hmm. they did smoke, which, do, you know, does sort of go against our um, traditional health, um, public health advice. But, but, yeah. but aren't these just statistical anomalies in that there's always going to be somewhere that has the longest living people? And then they go and search through the data and see if they can actually find something that's in common with all these people. And it's just all... Well, it's a, kind of interesting. Back in about 2010, um, you know, again, going back to Japan, um, it was reported by the BBC that there was about 230,000 centarians who were unaccounted for in Japan. And when they started trying to look for these people, like, because they even had people in the records who were supposedly 180 years old. <laughs> they found out that, A, a lot of them had been missing for decades. Like, we're talking about three or four decades. There was lots of pension fraud, so the families were collecting money. So pretending they were still alive when they died yeah. and just nice. a couple the pension every week. Yeah. And a couple, I think at one time they found a couple dead bodies in a couple of houses <laughs> that were kept around. Um, but, you get you know, Sorry? We, we can get Bernie's. Well, feels like that. But again, there's sort of a nuance in, the, in Japanese culture because you have like about three or four different um, registers that, you know, you have your census register, which is a bit more official, but then you also have um, registers that families go and manually report like, oh, so-and-so is born, so-and-so has died, so-and-so has gotten married. And with all, like, you know, we're thinking about World War II that's happened, earthquakes, tsunamis, a lot of these records have been destroyed or gone missing. So at a point where you'd have probably the most centarians, well, you know, 
a lot of their records would have been destroyed at key points in their life. So, you know, when they would have been, like their birth certificates would have been destroyed. Um, marriage certificates, employment um, registers that would have actually given their real age. Okay, so that um, could be fraud at the other end then. People can start to lie about when someone was born rather than yeah. when someone died. Yeah, and I think that's one thing that they found in the U.S. They're expecting that, okay, now that birth certificates are made mandatory, we're going to have a lot more um, people who are going to be over 100 years old. And they actually found that that number dropped. <laughs> so, but, but the people who are apparently faking the 100 years, um, they're kind of faking their age, they're kind of at that point that they were born before the period that birth certificates were mandatory. So, yeah, a lot of, a lot of uh, bureaucratic fakery behind uh, living, a, living to an old age. Huh. But what's kind of really interesting about what Dan Bootner's done is he's really commercialized blue zones um, and turn, trying to turn it into, you know, there's cookbooks, there's now a TV series that came on Netflix, that started on Netflix in August 2023. And now I think he's trying to sell like a whole checklist to communities. And I think they at least got three communities on board. and. You know, it's a money, it's now, it's, it's a money-making scheme. And it's really easy for that to happen because it's, you can sell someone on a diet. Mm. You can sell someone like, yes, buy this food, buy this wine, mm. you know, buy my diet plan, buy my cookbook. Um, it's a little bit harder to maybe sell people on like, yeah, maybe you go, need to go live with the seven-day Adventists. <laughs> <laughs> maybe you need to go live in Okinawa. Maybe you need to go change your genetics entirely. Right. So, so assuming that even if these blue zones were a real thing, they're trying to shortcut the process and say, here is the essential things like the diet and whatever mm. that you can do to then be as if you were living in this blue zone and then you get to live longer and yeah. annoy yeah. your family for longer. But now what's happened in about the 20, you know, almost 25 years since Dan Butner has been sort of doing this blue zone project, you know, again, people, again, people like Saul, Goodman, uh, Saul Newman have been reviewing <laughs> quite closely um, the reality and the statistics of what goes into this. Um, and they found that, you know, yeah, actually now Okinawa, they're not living longer than anyone else in Japan. Their diet is quite westernized. And Dan Bootner would even acknowledge that, yep, yep, yeah, the Okinawans, they shouldn't be on the blue zone anymore, but you go to their website and they're still on the list. I guess there's money to be made. But what I'm taking away from this is that I should drink wine and it'll make me live longer, right? Sure, is Mark. That, is that what you just said? No. <laughs> Damn. You wish. Oh, well. Okay. Is that, is that our three topics? Have we got anything Well, else? I think it is. Um, one thing I have been, one thing I have learned from wandering around the streets of Dunedin while I'm here in, uh, for the conference is I've now seen the location of umbrellas, <laughs> kitchen and bar, I think it is, where this, the Dunedin skeptics have their meetup. It's actually not too far from here. Bromley, this, this is your segment. This is my segment. I mean, <laughs> I think someone from Dunedin should be telling us that. Um, I don't have the, um, the Dunedin dates, but I do have the, New Ze um, the Wellington dates. Mm. Tell people what's happening in Wellington, because that's the best city. I know, it's the best, it's the best place to go for skeptics in the pub. We will still have our Friday meetup this Friday. What is, what is our date on Friday? November, December? 
December 1st. December 1st. Um, so December 1st, 6 p.m. And guess what? We found out we do have to still give the address in full detail. So we are going to be at 2 Gray Street inside the Intercontinental Hotel at the Lobby Lounge, which is the which is the lounge inside the hotel, not at the 2 Gray Street restaurant. Is that because Melanie got confused where to go for skeptics in the pub when she showed up in Wellington? No, it's because Philippa got confused as well. <laughs> Two people couldn't find our skeptics in the pub after I told Bromin to stop giving such detailed directions, so I am eating humble pie right now. <laughs> um, but if we want to talk about Dunedin a little bit, um, they will now have their next one on December 14th, and that'll also be at 6 p.m. at Umbrellos. Right. Good work. And Auckland, Craig? Well, doing the maths, uh, that must be the 5th of December, Tuesday the 5th of December, we'll be having a skeptics in the pub at the Dyson Fork. And when's the next science-based healthcare activism, whatever Brahman calls your... Six days after the first, add six to one, what do you get? Seven. Seventh, so this, oh, that's my wife's birthday. Um, <laughs> I'm running a skeptical activism meeting on my wife's birthday, the 7th of December. Please come along. I'm skeptical um, of that. Uh, <laughs> what's, where, where to, Mark? Um, oh, yeah, at the Fork and Brewer from 6 p.m. in Wellington. Love to see you there. The first complaint you make, get a free beer. Well, that's a nice short one. Mm. Yeah, that's going to be good to edit, isn't it? Yes, it is. Excellent. <laughs> I like that. You have been listening to the Year Now podcast. If you'd like to give us some feedback, you can write us an email to podcast at skeptics.nz, and that will get through, I am assured. Yes, it does. <laughs> we'll see you all next time. Bye. Thank you. Bye. Kakite. <laughs>